Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Oranga. Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this show, Autism One, a conversation of hope for Tuesday, January 24th. I'm your host, Terry Aranga, here with my guest, Dr. Patrick Flynn, Doctor of Chiropractic and Naturopathy at the Wellness Way in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Good morning, Dr. Flynn. Good morning. How nice to be on the show today. Thank you. You have an interesting story about your childhood, which led you to do what you do today. Yes, uh, it uh, led me to be a doc today, and the greatest thing is started back as a child. Um, I think that the way I've been taken on the path of becoming a doctor just started with my experience. You know, I was diagnosed as a troubled child in third grade. Um, the, the school psychiatrist sat down and, and uh, talked to my parents about uh, um, the problems that I had, talked about saying, listen, if I don't get into treatment and therapy, that I would be, you know, a troubled child, probably end up in jail. Um, and they told me that I didn't fit within that, that paradigm of, you know, in a classroom. And, and it was very disruptive and to the point where, for example, nowadays they would have held me back in grades, but uh, they pushed me through just to be able to, so the teachers didn't have to deal with me. And um, it was just very difficult. And as a child, I knew, you know, it was very difficult for me to sit in that, uh, in that classroom. It was very difficult for me to focus. Uh, my brain was going 100 miles an hour. You know, I was very sensitive. You know, I, you know, now we know it's pretty easy having some sensory integration problems that way and overstimulated. I mean, I was constantly bouncing and, and just even the, even the chalk on the chalkboard, you know, would actually be irritating to me. And um, no one understood. And so internally I was going through turmoil like crazy. Yet externally, you know, nowadays, you know, with, with what's going on in these spectrums today, it's very recognizable. Well, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it wasn't that way. And the sad part is, for example, it led me through just a very devastating childhood. And uh, thank God for my parents saying, hey, listen, you know, we know this kid. He's not a troubled child. He's not this. They just knew there was, you know, something going on. And um, so years went by. Uh, it started to actually become more of a problem. And I had the typical uh, signs and symptoms of, you know, what we'd call spectrum things today. And uh, I had allergies. You know, I had breathing problems. You know, I, I reacted to things from an immune standpoint pretty significantly. And the one thing that happened was I, just as a 13-year-old kid, you know, as a teenager, I said, listen, something's wrong. There's got to be something internally just not going on right. There's, it doesn't make sense. I've been to every doctor. 
you know, and the end effect that was going on was, number one, they'd give me something. I would see a short change. I would see allergy symptoms go down. I would see me to calm down with some of the medications and stuff that way. But the one thing that was very devastating to me is they'd always come back. And so I went to the public library. Okay, I grew up in Cribbitz, Wisconsin. I grew up in a very small town of 900 people. And all of a sudden I went to the public library. And no joke, it's just, it was quite fascinating. And I just picked up a book, and it's the, the simple title was How the Immune System Works. And the thing is, I started reading that book. And it talked about, for example, that, you know, when we breathe certain things in, you know, the immune system can overreact. And therefore, what happens is you can manifest all these problems. And therefore, I realized that the basic allopathic approach was, okay, something happens to the body. Instead of asking the major question, why, okay, they said that we're going to react to what's happening to the normal physiological response of the body. And so from that point on, I realized, hey, listen, maybe there's something that I'm eating. You know, maybe I got to avoid you know, those seasonal allergies. Maybe I've got to get away from them. But that still was a, in my thought process today, which we're getting into, I believe was the wrong question, you know. But that started my path on the whole natural health program because I've been through that medical treatment. I saw short-term relief, but I really never saw any uh, long-standing relief from that, Terry. And, and that was very frustrating, even as a teenage kid. So it was quite a kind of pathway that led me into leading to be a doctor that way. So you were 13 years old, you were a teenager, and allopathic remedies weren't helping you substantially. How did you come upon chiropractic and naturopathy? Did you do something when you were younger that allowed you to improve to the point that you were more comfortable and more functional? Absolutely. Well, what ended up happening was I started to go, okay, listen, you know, who can help with the immune system? Obviously, the doctors aren't. So it's not a joke. I actually decided, okay, listen, here's, I got injured, okay, in wrestling. And, of course, you know, I'd never been to a chiropractor. And all of a sudden, my, we went to the hospital, you know, and they couldn't help me. And all of a sudden, uh, I got taken to the local chiropractor right in Green Bay, or excuse me, right, right in Cribbitz. And then all of a sudden, he started to take care of me. Now, it's a typical chiropractic visit, you know, pain, shoulder problem, boom, took care of it. And then I started to notice my allergies started to get better. And I'm going, wait, hold on. You know, what's going on here? I mean, you're pushing on my neck, okay? How, what, what's going on? And so I, so I asked them, I asked the doc, I said, doc, you know, here's what I've been dealing with. I, I've been taking medication. This is, I've been getting some treatment from you now, and, and these are better. And he never led me any farther, but he said, yeah, that happens. And so I started to go, I started to read. I started to actually say, okay, um, you know, by that time I'm 16 years old. And I'm going, okay, listen, you know, I've been doing some things, avoiding some things, managing this a little bit better, you know, not eating things I knew that would cause me to react, staying out of the way from allergens when pollen season came up that way. And living as a country boy, that was tough. Um, but like I said, the key thing I was asking the wrong questions. And even when I asked the chiropractor, you know, how to work, he said, yeah. So I started the research, and I'm like, wow, that's pretty neat. I started to read about basically the philosophy of chiropractic and how the body works and, and that, guess what, we have a normal physiology that way. And what was happening to me was the, my body was actually improperly reacting that way. And then that led me, for example, in college, and I started to actually um, to start to follow certain chiropractors around, and they all had a little different approach, okay? And so I said, okay, listen, what can I do even more? And then one day it hit me actually when I was in, was in, when I was in chiropractic college. I was going through the whole process going, okay, learning about this stuff, but it was just one piece. Um, when we look at that one piece, why I got better to a certain point, it's because I did have some neurological damage that way. 
as the chiropractor took care of me, I saw some improvements to my immune system that way. I saw my improvements to, you know, how I was feeling psychologically that way. But then what happened, I knew that, was, that I needed to be more. And that, that's what actually led me into the whole naturopathic profession that way. So I said, listen, you know, I love chiropractic school, but it's time for me to go to naturopathic school. And, and the reason why, for example, I didn't go after that allopathic medical approach, not that they don't have a position or a job that's um, very important, they look at things differently. But even in the realm of the chiropractic and naturopathic realm, today, even the understanding of what they really do is put into that medical model. And that's why I've actually worked so hard to say, listen, the key to everything is, is the question why. You know, you know, why did this come about? You know, we can actually take any profession, and if we don't change how we think as far as, like, the approach, like, for example, uh, being a naturopath, a lot of people say, Doc, what do I need for allergies? And I always tell people that's the wrong question. You never ask why you have allergies in the first place. They're trying to put that into a, into a current model of an allopathic approach instead of what really should be more the natural approach should not be a natural treatment base. It should be always asking that question, why? Okay. Why were you sick? Uh, that was pretty great. What I found out, for example, after I got and started asking those questions, I found out I had some major GI problems. Um, going back to my young history, I had antibiotic use. I had vaccination. And so through chiropractic and naturopathic school, what I started to do, I started to nicely test myself properly. I knew, for example, you know, now we know that there's stool analysis. We know that there's, there's uh, um, food antibody testing. There's all those things. And I started going through that, and I started to rebuild my GI process. I started to support the rebuilding of my neurological process with certain foods, supplements, herbals that way. And then the nice part is, for example, I started to recover more and more and more. And the next thing you know, I was like, wow. You know, trying to go through school with the desire of actually just wanting to be a doc and still suffering with some of those things was very difficult. Um, now it's like I can sit down and read a book, no problem, you know, later in my life and, and uh, actually really deal with all the things I looked in the past going, man, I believe I, if I actually had this care as a young kid, I could have done so much more I did now today. And the great thing about it, for example, is this, is we all can actually look at this and go, okay, as I'm going through the rebuilding process, Every individual is different. I was different from, you know, the thousands of patients that I take care of. But that's the great thing about the whole testing process. And that's what led me to actually the term that's becoming really popular, even actually what just happened to, on Dr. Oz's show, that's what led me to really get into functional medicine because that's right. still the key right there. That's still when we see what's really going on wrong with that person, that individual, and what can we do to help restore their normal physiology from that point on. Okay, so you say that you practice functional medicine, and is that what that means, what you've just said? Yeah, except for the one thing confusing that's happening today, and I've been blessed uh, to speak. I actually teach with some of the largest lab companies in the world, actually. And um, what they've done is, here, let me give you an example. Functional medicine, for example, is looking at the normal physiological part of the body and what brings it away from its homeostatic mechanism. For example, I know some of the questions that you're going to ask me are going to be, okay, the people will look at certain treatments. I try to get people not to think that way. Right now, functional medicine, for example, is taught and still in the wrong paradigm sometimes. They talk about the normal physiology, but then they see, for example, a person has allergies. You know, what from a functional medicine standpoint can we give a person? Once again, I believe that that's the wrong question, even if you go back to the term itself, functional. Okay, we, we all have a genetic innate response of our physiology, which keeps us a homeostatic mechanism, meaning this. We, we know that roughly the average temperature is 98.6, and things can actually bring us away from that homeostasis either lower or actually higher 
based on, for example, our adaptive changes in our body. Like right now in Green Bay, you know, it's, it's 10 degrees out outside. You know, if I walk outside, my body's temperature is going to drop automatically, but my body is going to have to adapt to that new state of physiology and recover from it. And if I get away from that stressor, it will come back to the homeostatic mechanism. But we can't look at the body if it can't recover that way and say that now there's a pathology or a dysfunction. You know, that's where the, I think some of the biggest confusion comes in functional medicine. We're not trying to force everything to a homeostatic mechanism. We're trying to do what? We're trying to support the function of the body so it can recover to a homeostatic balance. That's where some of the biggest, uh, biggest uh, uh, flaws I think they're happening in, in even natural realms today. They're trying to use natural stuff like you're trying to use drugs. And to me, I think that's a false paradigm. It's the wrong question to be asking. All right. Well, Patrick, before we go to break, how do you feel about the terminology childhood psychiatric disorders? Um, it doesn't really bother me, okay? Um, I think that we have to look at this way is, in, and I'll explain this to you back from break, is when you look at a psychiatric disorder, you know, one, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the listeners a little bit. I'm going to give you a thing that this. Autism is a normal physiological response. I did, I did a lecture at an autism group one time, and I thought they were going to shoot me when I said that. But I want to just understand, for example, in the modern mindset today, child psychiatric disorder, you know, people understand there's a problem there. Okay, but when we come back from break, I want to prove to you that, that if you look at autism as a spectrum, really it's a normal physiological response. And people say, well, Doc, are you telling me it's normal for my child not to actually talk? We'll cover that after break. All right, let's go to break here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll be right back with Dr. Patrick Flynn. Thank you to our sponsor, OxyHealth. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling. Whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. 
We're back with Dr. Patrick Flynn, Doctor of Chiropractic and Naturopathy at the Wellness Way in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And during the break, I applied some liniment to my leg from when I fell off my chair when Dr. Flynn said he didn't mind the term childhood psychiatric disorder, but he's going to explain that a little bit more now. Right. Well, the thing about it is, for example, when they talk about child psychiatric disorder, they're putting in the parameters of our healthcare system today, okay? Um, and so we want to look at it this way. So it just, in the medical world, says, listen, they got an issue. It doesn't really define anything, and you should never give a label to a child. And, for example, like I always tell people, people say, I have, I have an autistic child. I'm like, no, you don't. It's a label, okay? So when I like to look at it, for example, is this. And where, like going back to my example of talking about people that are diagnosed on autism spectrum, okay, adults, kids, everything that way, when you look at it, I want to go in a little bit in detail saying, okay, with having that diagnosis, is it a good term? No. I always tell people so when you, a person comes in and has a spectral disorder, I said their body's right at where it's supposed to be at this time. And you're like, Doc, you're making no sense. Well, let me give you this. Let's always go back to our bodies trying to, to maintain a normal homeostatic mechanism, okay? That's where people say it's got balance. You're right. Anything that's introduced into the body, okay, so let's say, for example, that I introduce a food and it's toxic to my system, and now my immune system reacts to it. Now they can measure that and say, look at the body's dysfunctioning, it's overactive, there's inflamed. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's a normal adaptive physiological response to a toxin that was involved within the body. Yeah, but doc, that, that inflammation now caused a psychiatric reaction. You're right. And guess what? Your body will do whatever it does has to to survive. Let me go back to my example as far as the cold. Let's say that I put you into a hospital gown and I throw you outside right now. Your body's going to go into that fight or flight normal adaptive physiology and it's going to bring its core of its blood into, like I said, to the core. Now, the great thing is if you leave out there long enough, you could even lose your fingers and toes. And people say, you know, well, yeah, you're right. Now, is it stupid of the body to do that? No, it's in an adaptive physiology so it can react to the environment of what it's in. Now, that's an external environment. Well, there's two ways, for example, when you look at an environment for a child, you can actually have an internal environment and you can have an external environment. So when a person actually has a stressor, external, internal, and their body now responds, and therefore now there is a psychiatric change, the term child psychiatric disorder, from our perspective, makes absolutely no sense. From the allopathic medical paradigm, you have to use that term because they're based on a diagnosis and a treatment. So they have to have a term like that. So if you come from our questioning, more of a natural approach, or even a medical approach, that's their term. That's why, for example, when I actually spoke and said autism is a normal physiologic response, but the cool thing is during my talk, I showed them in, in relationship to an internal or external stressor. So like I said, the term, I would say that's a medical term. Let them have it. Does it relate to what we do? Nope. Would I ever use child psychiatric disorder? Nope. I just don't agree with it. Okay. Is that a better, a better explanation there, Terry? I think so. I think that would, that's what I was really yep. getting at. So I just want to read something to listeners, and listeners uh, who tune in regularly know that this is one of my favorite references. Um, not that it's a happy reference, but it's it's definitely a striking reference. Uh, in a study published in American Pediatrics, an estimated 43% of U.S. children, that's 32 million, currently have at least one of 20 chronic health conditions assessed, increasing to 54.1% when overweight, obesity, or being at risk for developmental delays are included. And that estimate was derived from 
2007 data, which is four years old, and so things could be worse now. Why, Dr. Flynn, do you think that there's an epidemic of autism and other childhood neurodevelopmental disorders in chronic health conditions? <laughs> um, like I said, I'll, I'll always step back on this. It's all based on greed. And I say, whoa, wait, that's a pretty weird answer. Well, let's go back to those. Let's always go back to the normal physiological response. We understand, for example, we can map it out scientifically. We can test people that way. We can measure their immune system. We can measure neurological. We can actually, there's so much great technology we do. Like I said, our motto is always should be as doctors is we don't guess, we test. Okay? Now, as you know, for example, if we put an artificial anything, artificial sweetener, artificial uh, vaccine, anything into the body, and if you can show me scientifically that eating artificial sweetener allows your body to stay within a normal homeostatic mechanism, I would eat them every day. Do you know what I'm saying? But you can actually take an artificial sweetener, introduce it into a system, see normal responses to those toxins within the body, and actually measure that, and actually see the response your body is doing in a negative way, create more what? More inflammatory hormones, more glutamate response, and therefore, for example, as we know, the body is all connected. We have to stop separating the body. Like, for example, there, you know, a neurologist, for example, should be in the same office as a GI doc. Why? Because there's a massive relationship. You can't affect one without the other. You can't affect the brain without affecting the GI. You can't affect the GI without affecting the brain. So, therefore, what happens is the paradigm for the way these children are looked at is wrong. You know, we have to look at it from a very holistic viewpoint, understand that there's all interactions. So, going back to the greed aspect. Artificial sweeteners are not put into things for the health of the food. It's put in for what? Longevity of the food, greed, money, production, things like that. When you look at all the aspects of our food system, we look at all aspects of our health care. Health care doesn't ever ask, how do we bring a, a person back to a normal homeostatic balance? They say what? How do we treat this person? Regardless if there's a benefit or not. For example, scientific study. If you ask any elderly person, generation above, you know, in, in the 60s and 70s, a lot of these people are taking some baby aspirin or some blood thinner per day. Why? Because scientifically, with the way they look at things, it will statistically make your heart beat easier and longer. But they, they do what? They discombobulate the fact that all these things are connected, and now stroke will go up massively because it also thins the blood vessels of the brain and blows them. So with all the things that go on, we have to start asking a different question of going what? What do we do that puts into our body that can keep us within a normal realm? If you can prove to me, like you gave that just great stat right there, obesity. Do you see what I'm saying? I don't know anybody that can, you know, eat very great food on a daily basis and turn out obese. What? High fructose corn syrup. Is it in our food because of what? Because of the benefit? No, it's there for greed, okay? Cheap and easy and preservative that way. So we want to look at how is these epidemics come about. We are introducing things into the child's body that, when they're genetically, here, here, we are genetically programmed for health, wellness, vitality. Somebody show me two peer-reviewed journals in anywhere, and no one can find this. And yet, and I speak to medical doctors, psychiatrists, all MDs, everything, and I say, listen, somebody prove to me and show me in, a, in a, any clinical study that we are programmed for death, disease, and illness. We are not. We are programmed, even a person that has a genetic disorder like trisomy 21, okay, Down syndrome their body still tries to keep within a normal homeostatic mechanism. And if we don't look at these things, environmental stressors, food stressors, all these things, internal and external stressors that change that normal mechanism, you wonder why there's such a massive epidemic to everything that's going on. Okay, so I guess you would agree that people's fingers falling out off outside due to frostbite is actually not normal, but it's pathological. That's a, wait, 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 could you ask that question again? 
So putting the person outside in the cold in Wisconsin in the hospital gown and having their fingers fall off due to frostbite is actually not normal, even though it may be a usual response of the body, it's still pathological. By far. It's pathological because you made the choice to go outside, just like you made the choice to vaccinate, just like you made the choice to eat a food that's bad for you. But you can make a choice not to walk outside, and then your body will adapt to the physiology of its environment. Okay, so let's get back to the greed factor that you were talking about. And I remember earlier in this interview, Dr. Flynn, I asked you about your childhood, and you said you were vaccinated. Is that part of what you think is involved with the greed and why Um, there's a rise in chronic childhood conditions? My my very strong opinion on that is yes. You cannot, I I still have not seen, for example, any, and and, um, I have a very close mentor who's a PhD immunologist who used to make uh, vaccines for a living. I still have not seen any research that shows the fact that what that when you give any vaccine or any toxic metal, and you can focus on mercury, you can focus on aluminum, you can focus on anything. I, even if you look at even some of the adjuncts and some of the, the chemicals that are put into our foods or even vaccines, that number one, hey, listen, does that, uh, you have to ask me one question. Don't ask me your fear questions on infections. Ask me one question. Does this bring the body to its normal physiological balance or does it bring away from it? There's not one doctor or scientist that will say, and even the labels, the warnings, you could get a fever, okay? A fever is a normal physical response to a toxin or some internal environment, but you pushed it away from homeostasis. Do you follow me on that? So I have never seen anybody prove to me, because I ask a different question, the things that we're introducing into the body, it doesn't bring you back to homeostasis or away from it. Anything that brings you away from homeostasis will cause a, an adaptive physiology that will lead to some pathology. Right. Now, also, we are told that mercury was mostly taken out of most modern childhood vaccines. So why are we still concerned about vaccine ingredients? Well, here, when we look at, for example, so let's, there still is mercury in vaccines. Even if you go on CDC website, it's 0.3 milligrams per deciliter, you know, has to be. It's kind of like you go, you go to a food company and you look at the front, it says zero trans fats. And you turn around, it says, it says uh, um, hydrogenated oils. You say, how is that possible? because the FDA allows you to say if it's less than this per serving. But let's say that, let's say even say this, let's say that there was absolutely no metals or no, um, no toxins within the body or within the shot whatsoever. If you can prove to me that injecting a virus directly into the bloodstream, bypassing the normal physiological responses the way a virus is supposed to go in, okay? Because a lot of people get hooked on the polio vaccine. But guess what? The polio vaccine was oral to start with. Okay, so it still had a greater chance of getting introduced and being excreted properly through your body that way. But the point is this, if you can show me physiologically in a study that you can inject the uh, virus, just a pure virus, no toxins, into a bloodstream, and that it brings you closer to homeostasis and balance, then I'll believe you. I still, no one has proven to me yet. And because why? I'm asking a different question. I know I say it over and over again, but parents, we have to ask a different question. Is this a benefit to my body or is it not? For example, I had a person say to me, you know, well, Doc, you know, your background is nutrition. You're a big organic person. You never let your kids have things like that. You know, what about if you're just in moderation? Well, let me just put a little amount of urine within every glass you drink of water, okay? It makes no sense. I mean, I'll give an extreme example, but moderation of toxins does not bring your body back into a normal state. And Good we understand we, gotta, we, really have to, we really have to look at bringing that body back to normalcy. Right, and we know that... Um, so many flu shots have mercury and, high level. Uh, and uh, yes, high-level mercury. Mm-hmm. 
and that uh, following a regular schedule of those can really pack a wallop on your system. And we know that when mercury went down, aluminum went up. So with that note, we will take a break here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsor, OxyHealth. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Every weekend, take some time out of your schedule for new reflections featuring Dr. Adam Rubenstein. It's a show about all things aesthetic, from skin care to plastic surgery, health, and beauty. You'll learn about the aesthetic products and procedures to embrace or avoid. Each show will feature live, virtual, interactive consultations that you'll be able to follow along with and featured guests from the world of beauty and aesthetics. Listen Saturdays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, for new reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Ask Theo Live is talk radio like you've never heard before. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and her co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live Talk Radio. Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Dr. Patrick Flynn of The Wellness Way in Green Bay, Wisconsin. The website is www.thewellnessway.info. Dr. Flynn, what are the main underlying physiological systems involved in ending up with a diagnostic label of autism? Um, I'm going to answer you probably very different than uh, anybody's ever answered you because I know a lot of people go at the brain, the GI. I'm going to tell you right now, it's every system. There, and let me give you an example. If we look at how medicine looks at the body, they compartmentalize in the parts. There's a neurologist, there's a GI specialist, you know, there's a cardiologist. And I'm here to tell you that there is not one part of your body, for example, that is not affected by another. If I smash your big toe, it will affect your heart, even though your big toe is very far distance from your heart. Every system is involved with the autism spectrum diagnosis. There is not one part of your body that's separate from another. So, for example, I know a lot of people focus GI. Yeah, there's no doubt. There can be major disrupts there. Yes, neurologically. But guess what? Um, a bad kidney, you know, for example, can cause this whole cascade because they're all interconnected. Uh, Candace Perk, who's extremely well-known in the whole neurological profession, um, for example, when she found out that the immune system has receptors, you know, for neurotransmitters on there, 
okay, that there's a major talk between them. All those systems have receptors, and actually even though all their systems can sometimes make the other hormones, like people know now that the immune system can make neurotransmitters. So if you affect one system of the body, you affect every system. They all are involved, and that's why, for example, one of the reasons why they call a spectrum, you know, saying there's so many things that can contribute, because if one system is involved, it can create a whole cascade of every system starting to change abnormally. All right. You've mentioned that all of the systems are involved, and one that doesn't get spoken about a lot is the endocrine system. What's the connection between gut hormones, for example, and brain hormones? Well, you always got to go back, for example, to the fight-or-flight system. Now, the fight-or-flight is basically when you look at an endocrine reaction, okay, it's our protection system. You know, um, I give the example, you know, I have an office down in Tampa, Florida, and if I'm walking down by in the, uh, out of my, my doc's house, he's got a nice pond there, and there is alligators there. If the alligator responds and jumps at me, my, my environment changes. You know what? My external environment. I perceive a stressor. I'm going to have what? I'm going to have neurological response. I'm going to have a, now a fight or flight from the pituitary telling my adrenals to do what? Kick in. The adrenals are going to start a whole cascade of hormone of epinephrine, norepinephrine. And then, once again, that whole stressor, the body coordinates really well. It's a normal physiological response for my blood pressure to go up, for my heartbeat to go up, for my lung volume to go up. But as soon as I move away from that environmental stressor, all of these hormones reactions will start to now balance out. Okay? So when the person comes in and I see endocrine disruption, if I all of a sudden see epinephrine elevated or I see glutamate, the medical question is how do I drive that down? How do I force that down into a normal value? We ask the question going, why to go up in the first place? Where are those stressors, guys? That's the biggest thing because anything that disrupts our internal or an external environment can change the hormone pathway, the neurological pathway, the GI pathway, and it can now start to cascade of all the systems starting to downplay. Okay, great. So can you please give us a practical example that applies specifically to those with an autism diagnosis? Yeah. Um, let's say, for example, that uh, all of a sudden, and um, let's give a sensory integration system here. Let's say, for example, that they have a heightened sympathetic system to where, you know, even touch or tactile or light. Well, all of a sudden, they can get overstimulated. Now, for example, the stimulation happens, there is an adrenal response that produces high epinephrine. Now, if you remember, epinephrine is okay, a.k.a. adrenaline. It is known as a hormone that will affect other systems of the body, which will do what? When epinephrine elevates, your sensory and uh, detection system is elevated at the expense of concentration and focus. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, let's say it again. When epinephrine is elevated, this is, a, this is a basic hormonal reaction. Your body goes into fight or flight. You don't have to worry about ha- what happened two days ago when your body's under an adrenaline response trying to get away from that stressor. So it overstimulates. Epinephrine goes up. It's a hormone that affects other endocrine glands and also two other physiological systems of the body, but it also crosses the blood-brain barrier, which now causes what? the brain to start to accelerate, okay, start to go into that fight or flight. So there's that interconnection now that say, listen, I may have been overstimulated sensory-wise, but now I'm at reacting neurologically, and then what? It's a vicious cycle. The more sensory stimulation, guess what happens? The more epinephrine response crosses the blood-brain barrier, causes the brain to what? Accelerate. That's why if you look at these kids, what? They have a hard time focusing. They have a hard time concentration. Heck, that was, I just gave you my own scenario right there. Well, thank you for that. And I, I think I also was getting at the connection in autism between gut hormones and brain hormones. Yes. 
Now, also, too, for example, let's even go a little bit more detail on some of the other neurological hormones that are produced in a GI. We know, for example, that are precursors of serotonin. We know, for example, tryptophan. You know, all, all those are actually in the gut. And then once again, it just creates that those will cross, except for serotonin, but the, the precursors can cross and now cause major neurological damage. One of the big ones, I think, is, is the major connection to probably most of the autism cases is this. Okay, when you look at the people coming in, the whole spectral disorder, glutamate, which is triggered by our immune system, which we know resides within our gut mainly, okay? Glutamate at, gives us most of our pleasure, but at elevated levels, it will cause apoptosis, or as people know that term is programmed cell death. So if there is now a gut reaction causing an elevated glutamate, it will cause programmed cell death to the brain, and that's why they say on the autism spectrum, if they're not reached at a certain age, what happens? They could have these neurological deficits for the rest of their life. Because why? You're having brain damage happen that way. And it's a degradation. It will destroy brain tissue. That's why they can progressively get worse if there is that connection hormonally that way. Well, I think that we also want to offer some, some hope. I know, for example through the research and clinical practice of Dr. Harry Schneider Mm -hmm. that he has elicited uh, verbalization in, for example, a 22-year-old man. And I know that in other medical practices as well, uh, older, you know, individuals have started to verbalize. Oh, absolutely. So we always need need to keep trying. How do you, in your practice, help uh, families work on their child's gastrointestinal system, which we know is so foundational to the rest of the picture. The one thing that we always want to go back to this model, guys, is um, we had a, a person that came in yesterday, you know, with that with the spectral diagnosis that way, and I actually looked at him and said, okay, um, can you please show me what testing has been done on this child? Well, they had an evaluation, verbal. Okay, and they monitor and watch the kid and said, okay, here's your diagnosis that way. And my, my question is, what, okay, now what has been the plan? What is the plan for starting to get this child to recover? You know, and can I step back? I want to say one quick thing about the adult aspect you just mentioned really quickly as I have on my mind. When we always know this. If we cut our finger, we can heal. It doesn't matter what age we're at. So when people, you know, a lot of times, like they'll tell you, as they get older, they're non-recoverable. That's not true. We always have the availability to heal. And therefore, if we have them at a young age or an old age, guess what? We can still make great change in these kids. Now, going back to the, the, the aspect about what you can do as far as helping the GI, the child came in and I said, okay, what testing have they done on this child? They're like, nothing. Okay, so they've never ch- tested. The one great thing that we have our advantage with the Internet is lab companies have created wonderful tools to find out the biochemical individuality of each patient the disruptions that can actually cause GI damage, okay, and, we, and actually then you can test them appropriately to see what their individual needs are. You know, and let's say you even start with a GI. Look at some of the major things of the major building blocks you need. You know, you got to find out what essential, you know, carbohydrates, polysaccharides, and actually um, um, fatty acids that we actually need and amino acids. So what we can actually do, you can do almost like a spectra cell micronutrient test. You can do actually a GI stool profile, you can, do, you can do a metabolic profile and actually see, you know, some of the major, if there is an infection in that GI, is there a leaky gut syndrome? You can, go, you can do, for example, glucose tolerance testing, leaky gut testing. There's so many testing available that way, and that's where, for example, being a practitioner, being a doc, that's why I said, a doc that investigates and finds out the individuality of each one of these children coming in and creates a care program that best suits their needs. 
Right. So in addition to helping the immune system by cleaning up the gut, what other things do you do for the immune system? Well, when you look at, you know, the immune system, when, when you really look at the changes it can make on the body, okay, you really have to look at, number one, how do we get the immune system to function at a very high level and adapt to any stressor in the environment? Now, the one thing I think that has brought me very popular to my speakings and parents that way, um, we always know that the essential polysaccharides are would drive the immune system towards a very good homeostatic balance. Now, let me give you an example. Cancer is at all-time high, Okay. Um, now, Terry, if you don't mind, I'm just going to ask you a question, if you can just repeat to me. Can you tell me, for example, where tetracycline, amoxicillin, penicillin, where a lot of those medications are actually derived from? Any guess? I'm interviewing you. I know, but do, I know, but can you just, just because I'm acting like you're a parent here for me. Wait, here, I'll restate the question for yeah. you. Dr. Flynn, can you tell me where tetracycline, amoxicillin, and all those antibiotics are derived from? Most of them are derived from a mushroom. Okay, because, for example, excessively like reishi mushroom. So when you look at this, the immune system function, if you go back thousands of years, and Chinese medicine is still the most immune-building things, and even if you go on WebMD, just type in Coriolis mushroom, a.k.a. turkey tail, reishi mushroom, they're still the most immune-developing, and you can actually help to regulate autoimmunity. You can actually help to have these kids recover from the major immune deficiencies help their immune systems react to the toxicity to the internal environment, help their immune systems respond to viruses and bacteria and all the things that can disrupt that system. Medicinal mushrooms, guys, are still one of the major keys to seeing major immune changes, therefore affecting the major psychiatric changes. I, I agree that, um, that mushrooms are, can be healthful and are also used in some forms in nutraceuticals. Now, how does this correlate with your feelings about amoxicillin and tetracycline and augmentin and antibiotics and the health of those diagnosed with autism? Uh, yeah, trust me, we don't want to use that stuff. <laughs> but what, what, I, what I want to make my point as far as like the medications is that they're derived from the polysaccharides that are in there to try to change, you know, and kill infections. Okay, I, I, trust me, you don't want to, you know, uh, if a person needs that back, I understand, but you want to avoid those things as much as possible due to the fact that they can cause major damage, you know. Gastrointestinal um, problems that has a whole cascade yep. of, other, of other health effects on the body, adverse health yep. effects on the body. Right before we go to break, um, I, I remember a product, I think it was something like, uh, I don't want to mention a, a brand name, but um, it, it had to do with carbohydrates, mm-hmm. something with a, a toast at the end of it. And some people are sensitive to carbohydrates. They use uh, successfully the specific carbohydrate diet. Are, what are your feelings on these things? As far as uh, What are you talking about when you're talking about polysaccharides? Are you talking about nutraceuticals? Are you talking about putting carbohydrates in the diet, using specific carbohydrates in the diet? I always go back to this. I always go back to look at your essentials, and all your essentials can be derived from your foods. And that's where, for example, a good, nice food sensitivity test, testing, you know, IgA, IgG responses, even IgE responses, and then putting the essential foods that get your essential polysaccharides, your essential carbohydrates, excuse me, your essential amino acids, and your essential fatty acids that now can give the building blocks your body to repair. So foods, foods are still the answer. Okay, fair enough. We're going to take a break here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsor, OxyHealth, maker of fine 
uh, hyperbaric chambers. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866 472 5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Dr. Patrick Flynn of The Wellness Way in Green Bay, Wisconsin. The website is www.thewellnessway.info. And Dr. Flynn, earlier in the program, uh, you were talking about sensory integration mm-hmm. problems. How big is this in autism? Uh, it's huge because there's still the external environment that can be um, uh, affected when these kids actually have hypersensitivity that way. So as we're changing that internal environment, that's where great cognitive therapy and things like that can be done by wonderful professionals that can actually help. Go, you know, that's why when we started a, a sensory and integration center that way, helping them change the external environment. Okay. So when parents bring a child who's diagnosed with autism to your clinic, what mm-hmm. type of evaluation and lab testing happens first? Um, I'm going to give a very general statement on that because, remember, each kid is different. Each child that comes in is different. But let's look at it this way. Number one, I want to find out what has been, number one, the internal stressors. Now, remember, let's kind of look at, let me define a stressor. A stressor is anything that takes you from, away from a normal physiological balance. So there could be a trauma, okay? A, there could be a trauma to your neurological system. There could be a toxin or deficiency. Or there can actually be even just a mental stressor itself that way. So our evaluation tools will help us actually evaluate, number one, our, what stressor is the main component? Now, obviously, I'll tell you right now, in 13 years of experience of doing this, I would have to honestly tell you toxicity is probably the number one stressor involved with these things, um, that, and deficiency is probably second. And then, for example, then we're going to do the, look at the external environment, okay? That's where we really focus on our sensory integration. What can we do with these kids to help them change both environments to allow their body to go back to that normal homeostatic mechanism, which now puts us in an anabolic repair, build, you know, state instead of a sympathetic dominant fight or flight system, which is degeneration and destruction. All right, very good. So you mentioned modalities at your clinic. Mm-hmm. 
like vitamin D therapy and Nexalin. I don't think a lot of people have heard about Nexalin. So what are those? What do you specifically mean by those two therapies? Well, if we look at the epigenetic changes, okay, we know that, I mean, even in the last research article, I read up as high as 15% of all of our epigenetic changes are controlled by vitamin D. Now, we understand living in Green Bay, Wisconsin, you got maybe three or four months out of the year that you are going to actually get proper vitamin D levels. Um, the one thing is I'm actually going over to Australia to do some speaking over there, and their vitamin D levels range from 80 to 200, and ours go from 30 to 100. So when we look at all of the major chronic inflammatory responses, you know, we know that vitamin D is involved if it's low. So we want to make sure, for example, that that is measured properly, okay, and then we can a store, you can either do it orally, obviously. Now, the one thing I do like, and, and I'm going to give him a little plug on this, I think Dr. Mercola probably has done the most for vitamin D understanding of any doctor professional, by the way. And his simple light therapy beds are great. You know, we have them here in our office that way. Guess what? My little daughters who are not on the spectrum, but guess what? They're 8, 5, and 2, and we'll have them sit in front of the therapy lights that way to get those vitamin D levels up on the non-summer-based times when we can get itself. Nexlin is a, is a fantastic tool to help, you know, for example, when you get the kids that, or even the adults that are on the spectrum that are going through, once again, talk about that fight or flight. We know, and, and I guarantee even adults out there right now that actually just even suffer with this alone, where we can't calm our brain down, where that thought process, so we, we're very compulsive, we have some OCD. Well, think of it this way. If a person has a heart attack and they use a defibrillation machine on them, people say they're shocking the heart. No, they're not. There's atrial fibrillation. There's too much electric activity and it's uncontrolled. And then what it does when you defib them, you clear that out. When we hook people up to Nexlin, okay, to give you an analogy, basically we're hooking that out and we're defibbing the brain. It helps calm the electrical activity down that way to allow the brain to start to reboot itself. It's very well researched. It's very, you can actually just you know, go and re- research yourself that way. It gives that clearing. And we have people that come in with massive OCD um, the spectrum, now granted, they've got to be hooked up, so they, they have to be um, on a certain part of the spectrum where we can get them to sit for an hour. Um, but even it works really well with, you know, the um, younger children that, that are very calm, that, you know, they're not going to rip something off their head. But what it allows them to do is basically get that defibrillation to the brain to clear that out, and it's a very calming effect to them. And they see results within a couple of days. So, wait a minute, let me see if I have this straight. You're using something that helps calm down the brain, but you can't use it for the least calm children? No. The, the most, uh, you know, for example, a lot of kids, they can't sit for an hour. And so the kids that are actually very calm, you know, for example, they may not have any language. They may actually, you know, they're on the part of the spectrum where they're, they're you know, a lot of them actually pace and they can't sit much. And Well, we can't really use that on them because it's just uh, they've got to be hooked up to actually lectures on their head for at least an hour. Is this ever used to help with seizures, um, Extensively. It's used a lot for brain traumas also. It's used a lot for Alzheimer's. Um, so it's actually anything, for example, that will actually a neurological problem. I always tell people this. is it's, it's a short-term tool, meaning what? You can clear that activity out, but if you're not changing the stressors, I'll tell you right now, it's going to come back. I'll tell you that directly. But when I have a person, no joke, when it gets severe and they're suicidal, and actually they're very, you know, intense that way, it's a great way to get under control quickly, even, you know, even if they are on meds. Uh, so 
In the time remaining, can you share with our listeners some stories about children who've gotten better who you've seen in your practice? Um, I have to actually probably give one of the most uh, severe um, uh, spectrum stories I've ever seen, and actually I can use his name. His name is Joshua, and um, he came into my office probably about three years ago. Um, he used to have 30 to 40 seizures per day. He came in, for example, he was pushing his wheelchair. Um, he drooled. He was actually the just heartbreaking when he walked in. This is, he, his parents was told, say, listen, he'll never walk. He'll never talk. He'll never be a functional human being. He'll, you know, all the great, you know, encouraging things they say to people when they, when they see children like this because they remember it's very difficult sometimes for them to find a pathology on a child like this. So they say, well, you know, nothing's really that intense about him. So they said, listen, we've got to try anything. That's why, for example, you know, a lot of people find the, quote, alternative practitioners, which I don't really like that term, but try something different because why? The normal questions people ask, they, they run their medical doctor first. When they don't have any answers, they find practitioners like us. So Joshua came in. I went through all my testing, okay? I actually went through some very extensive tests with him, found out they did have toxicity, major toxicity, and we started to actually do therapy on him. We started to actually remove that toxicity, tried to start to rebuild his system, introduce all the essentials, the essential fatty acids for his brain, the essential polysaccharides for his immune system, the essential amino acids for his neurotransmitters and also development of his tissues that way. Now, he was even in here yesterday. The child now, for example, can talk. The child now walks by himself. The child actually, for example, is now starting to actually go to school where they told him, for example, that he's just pretty much a vegetable. Now, the point being is this, is if as docs that look at these disorders, okay, as they call them, child psychiatric disorders, which I'm telling you, hey, listen, bad term, because why? It's not a disease. The body is adapting to its environment that has been introduced either externally or internally, mainly in my experience, internally from toxicity. And unless we figure these kids out where we map these out from a different question of why they have this and try to find and bring their body back into normal homeostatic balance where the body can create regeneration repair instead of destruction and degeneration, we have no hope for these kids. So we have to ask the right questions, get these children in that way, and we have thousands of children like this, and they're on the roadmap to recovery, as I call it that way. And your body wants to be normal. It's genetically programmed for health and vitality. What are the stressors that are causing it to be in a fight-or-flight degenerative process? We have to ask that different question. Oh, I think that's a good closing message, Dr. Flynn, I'd like to thank you for sharing that with all of our listeners today. Excellent. Thank you. I appreciate so much being on. You guys are doing a wonderful job. Well, thank you. To our listeners, don't forget to register for the Autism One Generation Rescue 2012 conference coming up soon at the end of May in Chicagoland, www.autismone.org. And for the new exciting Southern California autism event, Autism One SoCal at Health Freedom Expo, please register at www.healthfreedomexpo.com. Autism One is really excited about teaming up with the Health Freedom Expos. We want to give a shout-out to Tim Bolin of the Bolin Report for his good work. My next week's guest is Dr. Devin Houston. Thank you to this program's sponsor, OxyHealth, providers of fine hyperbaric chambers. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit autismone.org. 
Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga.